Hello, this is Brad Schwartz, professor and chairman of Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. On behalf of Richard Wolf Medical, the Endourological Society, and the Journal of Endourology, I would like to welcome you to the latest release in our podcast series. Each month, we will be presenting a current events topic of interest to our listeners. Hello, and welcome to another podcast from the Endourology Society. Today, uh, very happy to discuss uh, bladder cancer with Kershid Guru. He is the uh, chair of urology and the Robert P. Huben Endowed Professor of Urologic Oncology and the Director of Robotic Surgery at the Roswell Cancer Center in Buffalo, New York. Uh, Dr. Guru, uh, it's really a pleasure to, to have you here and your expertise in this area will benefit our listeners significantly. So thank you for your time and uh, we look forward to hearing your comments. I really appreciate the invitation and it's a pleasure to share thoughts. So, Dr. Guru, your expertise in, in bladder cancer and specifically radical cystectomy uh, is really uh, noteworthy and, and it is well known. Uh, I guess the first question I would ask you to really just kind of go into and comment on is um, radical cystectomy for bladder cancer, robotic or open? Uh, what, what, what are the nuts and bolts that our listeners need to kind of understand and, and maybe uh, appreciate about those two approaches? Well, uh, I mean, it's a... I think you went directly to the <clears throat> real issue, I think, Brad. But uh, the, the thing is this, that first thing is I always tell people this, that and this be my trainees or patients or colleagues, that at the end of the day, uh, you're only as good as your surgery, right? So if you're doing it open and you know this very, very well and uh, open is your field, uh, you got to do this open. <clears throat> if you are a very good robotic surgeon, you do this robotically. Now, why is this critical is that we basically have seen an evolution in the last two decades <clears throat> of uh, the surgical field where we have gone from the, the shift from open to laparoscopic was very slow because kind of it was a hard learning curve and uh, steep kind of training issues and all those matters. But in robotic surgery, the, the learning curve has been quicker and people have adopted it very well. And it's kind of now almost become the major armamentarium for pelvic surgeries and for a reason because you get good visualization you get magnification uh, the, yes there is no tactile feedback but I think the surgeons have kind of overcome all of that and now the trainees walk into your and my fellowships with basically having these basic skills which we already know that they are already there and they don't have to be taught that there is no tactile feedback in fact they have done a lot of steps of the procedure and they come to your program to fellowship just to fine tune themselves. Now, what has it done is that the field has become uh, completely like minimally invasive in the way for prostate, as we know, uh, almost 90% or 90, 95 to 99% of the prostatectomies are happening with a robot. Uh, bladder has been a little slow and I'm glad it has because uh, bladder cancer is not forgiving and uh, uh, it also, uh, the, the, the mortality or the cancer specific mortality with the, uh, is related to surgical technique margins, the recurrences, especially the local recurrences are all related to your technique. So because of that, I'm glad people have not taken on this very quickly, but what has happened over the, I've been doing this for two decades is that people have evolved. Some of the people who have been there for a long time have evolved the technique to be finer. And if you look at data now, 
we definitely have advantages in blood loss. We have advantages in uh, less uh, kind of uh, operative problems during surgery. We also have technically a lot of people able to do this operation well because they are robotically trained uh, better. Now, open is equally good, but the only difference has been that open learning is much harder, in my opinion, in the pelvis than it's in the robot. So that has made it better, in my opinion, robot better. And mainly has been because this patient population is older, so blood losses matter. How long you take the surgery to do the case matters. How good you are with the recurrences and margins and all that matters. So robot has made it a little bit finer. And for uh, one of the highlights which we should remember, one of the very few cancers in oncology, uh, especially uro-oncology, where there are randomized controlled trials uh, comparing open versus robot, four of them, and uh, which is rare and which is good. And uh, they have shown that there is uh, not a big difference, uh, but there is difference in blood loss. And, um, and now with the CATO trial from England, showing the quality of life and improvement in recovery, which is significant. So uh, that is the thing. And, and in my opinion, the short answer to your question is that it is what you are really good at and how you trained and what you can, how you can accomplish a quality operation. Good uh, negative surgical margins, uh, decent lymph node yield, uh, less complications, a good uh, urinary diversion and appropriate urinary diversion where there is a neobladder needed, they do a neobladder. Where there's a conduit needed, they do a conduit. I think that is what we need to kind of aim for. You know, the, it's funny because the um, data, at least of, of national cystectomies being performed, you know, it, I don't remember the exact number, but it's something along the lines of one or 2% of the centers are, are responsible for 90% of the cystectomies in this country. And so, if you're now going to bring in the robotic technology, um, you're even kind of parsing those numbers even even thinner. Um, how do we, uh, on the on the uh, other side of that uh, conversation, looking at intracorporeal versus extracorporeal, and then continent and incontinent diversions? Um, obviously, in someone with very little experience, you probably would recommend extracorporeal and probably not doing continent diversions, but for someone like in your hands, when someone comes to your center, what uh, what are you apt to do? Are you that's a very, doing... very important topic I think you've raised. Uh, <clears throat> so there are a few issues here which we have to deal with. Number one is the number of cystectomies done nationally are definitely low. Uh, majority of them are done in bigger centers. I think it's in a way good because... Uh, these operations are associated with, even in the be best hands, about 60% complication rate. They are elderly patients and they need a lot of attention. And the manpower and the cost of dealing with this is higher. So I think they are probably appropriately just sticking to the centers which are academic and uh, which basically can handle them. 80% uh, of the bladder cancer anyway is handled by a general urology person who is in prior practice because it's about TURBDs and recurrences, right? So I think these are patients who need specialized care. I'm 
honestly happier that they are in centers like that because they they have to you have to deal with this what is the second issue which you raised is very important is that we are seeing nationally a trend of reduction in uh, continent uh, reservoirs or continent new bladders be it cutaneous or be it kind of a you know continent buns and there is a reason for it and i think we have a to keep a balance that the patient really wants them or not. And I think what data I'm seeing from different papers and uh, you know publications is that there is a shift towards what people really want. They might not want to make the effort to go through a continent diversion and, uh, um, uh, and, and, and learn how to catheterize and, uh, and get there and make that, make that climb uphill. One reason. Second reason is obviously that the surgeons who are trying to do this, a lot of them are not trained well in doing good continent diversion, which is a fact because the numbers, as you said, are very low. So number three is this, that uh, maybe people are uh, not caring about that much about body image and they want to, uh, they don't mind having a bag and uh, uh, living through a simpler way of kind of dealing with it. Uh, but they all have led to a number reduction in, uh, neobladders and uh, I think there is a small proportion of um, blame to be put on uh, minimally invasive because the minimally invasive operation becomes complex and it takes a lot of skill and a lot of learning curve to get to a continent intracorporeal diversion. So smaller places and smaller institutions are doing it. I 100% agree that is an issue. Um, how do we address this? I think we do a good job with training, number one. Number two, uh, <clears throat> if it stays uh, at bigger centers, uh, maybe that's where it needs to be uh, so that we can lower the complication rates on these. Number three, um, uh, we do it for the appropriate patients who need it and not do it for everybody. Uh, it will balance out. I think in the next um, few years, we'll realize where, where the patient population wants to stand. Hmm. Regarding surgical technique and and kind of um you know a, a lot of debate especially around like rpl and for testis cancer and very early in the robotic experience um i'm not quite sure that that hospital time and and, and bowel recovery were really that favorable for robotic surgery it's been it's been a while since i've visited the the cystectomy literature and kind of in those circles i, I don't do those procedures but what is your opinion or, or what is your experience in? Oh, uh, I 100% agree uh, with you that bowel recovery has not been significantly impacted by robotic or open. I think the bigger impact on bowel recovery has been the ERAS pathway for patients. And uh, that has done a better job in making people recover bowel function and get back to their norm in terms of GI tract. I think the robot was expected to deliver better. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I, but I agree. Uh, it is not turning out to be as much as a difference as we thought if you do this open or uh, close. Now, maybe one of the things which, uh, which may happen is in like decade when this is all the technique has kind of settled down and we have adjusted all the variables and we are all... Uh, at our learning curve and all that. And then at that point, we might see with all these multiplying factors, love, less blood loss, less traumatic surgery, 
bowel function and recovery are technique wise very good. They that might show impact, but you are right. At this point, we don't see that dramatic impact, and neither of the neither of the studies showed that. Also, the randomized control or the consortium studies. And what's your thought? I, I mean, again, it probably is very surgeon dependent in how you do in surgery, but um, overall, are you able to get an oncologically adequate lymphadenectomy with this operation? Oh yes, I mean, I think that 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 issue has been settled that oncologically we are able to do this. And now, you know, as you know, the last two studies, one from the European Union and then from here from the SWAG with Seth Lerner leading that, it has shown that there is, doesn't need to be a super extended lymph node dissection and uh, you could do a standard lymph node dissection and the survival curves don't show any big difference. But uh, you should also not throw the baby with the bathwater by saying, you don't really need a good node dissection. You still need a good uh, node dissection in the landing zones. So I want to make sure I warn everybody that um, this doesn't mean that we don't do a good node dissection. It just means that we don't have to go very high or go super extended. Let me, uh, I'm going to throw you a little curveball here. Um, I, I want you to comment on your experience with stentless cystectomy. Oh boy, that's a that's a <laughs> keep on throwing these tough ones there, uh, Brad. So, uh, so I'll tell you, it's a it's a really really good question because. So I started uh, about twenty years back, and I was completely in favor of doing stents, and uh, and a lot of you know we have a we have a very strong training program, so we had a stricture rate which was higher, and then we got better with it and lowered, and then. What happened is that one of my colleagues, uh, younger colleagues who came from Memorial Sloan Kettering, and they had a study which looked at stentless and they were doing stentless. And I was kind of on the fence. And finally, I kind of decided that I will try stentless. And, and you know what, with, not to my surprise, because it's scientifically been proven by a few good studies, is that I saw the drop in stricture rate significantly and very less rates of uh, problems with them. Do they happen? Yes, they do. I think initially you have to be careful, but what I do is I leave a Foley catheter in the conduit, which becomes like a kind of a siphons the pressure off. So the healing is easier, but I don't leave any stents anymore. And I have started about six months back, not leaving any stents even for neobladders. What do you think the mechanism, do you think the, the mechanism, do you think stents cause the strictures or facilitate ischemia or what, what do you think, expect is happening? Stents, uh, I think stents kind of, uh, um, well, you know, to, to be honest, it's speculation, but I think stents might just lead to more inflammation and more uh, kind of a, a reaction from the body in producing more of inflammatory cells. And that leads to strictures and uh, uh, more inflammation. Is there a role for partial cystectomy? Because I think, um, you know, the, the what you're doing with the partial cystectomy in the robot is you're really taking out a lot of the uh, the, the challenges of, of you know, uh, bowel anastomoses, ureteral anastomoses. Uh, first of all, is there a real significant role of partial, uh, partial cystectomy for bladder cancer? And what's your thought on robotic versus open in that procedure? So I, to be honest with you, if you look at, we have done about 925 robotic cystectomies in 20 years. 
if you looked at our data, we do probably less than 1% of our shows. One of the reasons could be that we are a reference center, we get a lot of complicated cases. Second reason is that because of this whole idea of skip legions and all that, and then you have to deal with this later on. And if the legion is bigger and at a very awkward state, uh, kind of anatomic uh, area, it's difficult to reanastomose and not leave a patient with a very small bladder. And third issue is this, that, um, uh, you know, oncologic issues of cutting into the bladder and opening all those things that I have an issue with. Um, we we uh, only offer this mainly for domal lesions and we kind of have uracal kind of tumors. We offer them, them um, robotic, um, you know, partial. Uh, we don't, we haven't done an open cystectomy in 20 years, almost here, 18 years to be appropriate, to be exact, sorry. Um, but uh, uh, we don't do any open, so I couldn't comment about that, but partial is very selective in our case. And uh, what about a diverticulum? Would you do a partial for a diverticulum? Uh, oh, yes, yes. For that, we do, we, we do that all the time if we need to do that. That is not, a, in fact, it's much nicer doing it with a robot because you can kind of, even if they are a little hidden, you don't have to dissect the whole bladder. You can kind of get to a little narrower space and uh, with magnification, be able to nicely close it well. And do you ever um, do you ever use uh, endocyanin green in, in your cystectomies for any reason, whether it be anastomosis or nodes or, uh, or anything at all? You know, you a lot of my it? friends do, Brad, but I don't. I have, um, uh, I, I was trained, uh, so the, and it might be because of my training. I was trained a lot of the bladder training happened in open. So when I came, cystectomy was kind of very much uh, considered a taboo to do with a robot. So I had a lot of training in open cystectomies and it was more of how you clinically uh, by your naked eye evaluate the tissue, look for, uh, you know, the do a proper dissection, make sure anatomically you are following all the principles of leaving uh, the sheath around and making sure that you're not traumatizing the ureter and all those principles which we you and I were trained in uh, versus you know uh, well let's just see how much the industry I mean I I don't use it at all it's also a cost factor for me and a time factor sure uh, Dr. Guru has been great what in our remaining time here in the next couple minutes um, can you comment on any future directions or uh, I, I know that Chemo and immunotherapy and neoadjuvant therapy uh, is really making a huge impact in this disease. Um, smoking cessation has probably uh, made a little bit of an impact, uh, although at your center, you still get all the referrals, so it probably hasn't made a huge difference. But worldwide, I would have to think it's made a little bit of a difference with the smoking uh, decreasing. Yeah. Uh, what, what are some future directions of uh, surgery for bladder cancer that you might be able to discuss with our audience? So, so there are two things, which one thing which we have done very well, and we are basically in the middle of uh, kind of preparing the manuscript. We have done a very good job with developing uh, nerve sparing uh, cystectomy for, for both male and female patients. And that comes from the magnification we have learned and the steps and the anatomic uh, planes we have learned over the last 20 years in a very narrow space. I think robot has helped with that big time. And also the feasibility of using the endorist in small spaces and dissecting properly. And third thing about that is the imaging has gotten way better. So all of our staging imaging has become more 
specific and we know when to do it and when not to do. So that's kind of a big help. That is kind of a big thing into my, in my opinion, in the horizon about organ sparing and nurse sparing uh, for, for the maintenance of quality of life and sexual function. That is one big thing. The second thing which at the horizon I'm kind of looking forward is, I don't know if you got a chance to look at it. It was published in the Journal of Urology, I think a month or two months back. A very nice uh, feasibility study by Indy Gill's group from USC about a bladder transplant. Yes, I, I did see that. Yeah, so that might be the, something in the future. Uh, now, I don't know how we're going to balance the idea of doing a transplant on a cancer patient and then having them on immunosuppression with, you know, those things are uh, things which we need to work out. Technique-wise, it's a major next step that we can be able to do that. Uh, but uh, I think those are the two things, in my opinion, and... Uh, one of the things which I think is halfway there, but it's kind of uh, getting uh, kind of cemented is the technique of uh, making neobladders without making a big incision. And uh, the results and outcomes, which I hope we'll see in next decade from it, you know? All right, well, very good. Um, Dr. Guru, it's been a pleasure. Uh, your knowledge in this area, I think, will definitely help our listeners. And uh, I do welcome, or excuse me, I do uh, thank you for your time and and uh, your expertise. Um, so Dr. Kershi Guru from uh, Buffalo, New York, talking about uh, uh, bladder cancer and surgical options regarding the robot. Thank you so much. You take care. Thank you so much, Dr. Schwartz, for having me. I really appreciate it, Brad. And uh, looking forward to the other seminars and webinars you do. Thank you. On behalf of uh, Richard Wolf Medical, the Journal of Endourology and the Endourological Society, I thank you for listening today and hope you can tune into the next podcast. <laughs>